preach a sermon. I'm always kind of excited, but this uh, we're kicking off a series um, about God leading his people. And what I've done is made uh, a listing of the sermons for you. Uh, if you're as excited as we are about it, it, it helps you to know ahead of time what's coming. And you can date, like today's, you could date so you know where we're going and so on. But you can then read the passage. Uh, Dwindle and Reuben, do you guys mind? Uh, there's, I think, 60, so one per person. Even some of the kids might want some. But pass these out if you want them. But it gives you the listing. We can also post it on electronic media for you. But if you stick it in your Bible, you know it's there. Turn your Bibles to Exodus, chapter 1. What do you know about Exodus? Actually, what do you know about Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy? But would you feel differently if I said we're going to preach through Leviticus? Yeah? Why is it there? What is about these four books? Talk to me. So they build a tabernacle, okay? Yeah, 40 years in the desert. I mean, that kind of exemplifies the 40 years in the desert. From here, you know, at bookending it is Egypt and the promised land, but then it's the 40 years in the desert. And those 40 years in the desert, by the way, are really instrumental in the development of God's people. And and we may have the opportunity to look, did, did they bring that desert upon themselves? Yes, they did. But it, that then God is a redeemer and he used the desert to build them. Uh, it's also a time of a lot of death. Like all these people die. At the end of the day, two, and their wives, probably two uh, older men, two men over 40, and their wives are the only people left who left the promised land. Uh, what are the names? Joshua and Caleb, yes. So, uh, turn to Exodus and we'll, we'll jump right in. So, the Bible contains more uh, narrative, story, than any other literary type. So the Bible has more stories in them than any other literary type. So when you think about genres or literary type, there's poetry, there's narrative, there's teaching, there's prophecy. The Bible includes more narrative than any other thing. Now what in the world are we supposed to do with these stories? You and I have all heard these kind of stories being misused maybe, where people make points from these stories that they wish to make, and you can make them say about anything. But well, let's just step back and, and think about stories a little bit. Um, the, and there, I think there are three levels to biblical stories. The, the story of Exodus. The story of God's people. I think there are three levels. Um, the, the, the top level is the grand story. What is God doing? What's he doing from Genesis 1 to today? By the way, the scriptures don't end. They're living. The, the word is living in Jesus Christ. So the scriptures don't end. So... Uh, what, what is Jesus doing? What is God? What is the Father God doing from Genesis 1 to today? What's his story? And he always 
coach all the biblical stories in the light of that grand story, the story of redemption. So from the beginning, God had his heart to love his creation, humanity. He loved them. And they made choices that moved them away from him. And in that choice, God provided a deliverer. And it is worth repeating. So if you read the Bible and have never read it before, and you read it in chronological order, you would read Genesis 1, and at the end of Genesis 3, when man has sinned their way into existence, God says, I'm going to send a deliverer. What's the next big story in Genesis 4? What's the story? Come on. You're Bible people. Cain and Abel proves that they're not the deliverer. What's the next big story? Noah and the ark. And so you maybe think that Noah could be the deliverer, but then he gets out of the ark and gets drunk. And, uh, and then there's uh, Abraham, and Abraham proves that he's not the deliverer. Well, there's the people in the Tower of Babel. There's Abraham, and he proves he's not deliverer. Then there's Joseph, but Joseph dies. Joseph takes his people, uh, invites his family, the family of God, into Egypt. The, they're starving, and they're in Egypt, and now the story picks up again in, in Exodus 1. So, so always keep in mind that God is interested in us seeing the grand story of deliverance and redemption. It's all coached in that. It's all couched in that. It's all set in that. The second thing, the middle level, is the story of Israel. God's people, God's chosen people. And we can talk about the scandal of chosenness. Why did God choose them? What this messy lot of people? So the the big story is God's story of redemption for the world, for humanity. Within that is God's story of Israel. Now, by the way, in the New Testament, it is quite clear that Israel is expanded and there is a new Israel. Israel is always the people who walk with God, who are God's people. And we're a part of that. And then the bottom level is the individual stories. And in the case of Exodus, Exodus has this kind of story of Israel, but it also has some key figures. Who are the key figures in Exodus? Moses. Moses. Yeah, this man Moses. He is a strange one. Moses. Who else would you say are key figures? The people. I, who, are the, who are the protagonists? It is, it is Moses. It is Pharaoh. Pharaoh plays key in this. Uh, the people, they're often kind of lumped together. The people, the people of Israel. Are there others? Aaron. Oh my, and Aaron. We'll talk about Aaron today. Yeah, Joseph does. He's the beginning. The people of Joseph, you could say. Joseph comes as close as anyone to being the deliverer. But he has this messy family. Talk about, uh, yeah, his brothers. Yeah, anyway. All right, so... Remember, three layers. God's story of redemption, then the story of Israel, and then these kind of individuals like, like Moses. And 
And we all find ourselves in these stories. Now, what these stories are not, uh, these are not just stories about people who lived a long time ago. These stories, the primary mover and shaker in these stories is not Moses or Aaron or the people or Pharaoh. The primary mover, the way that the stories are written, who is the hero of the story? God. Irvin's saying it. God. God is the hero here. He is the one who will deliver his people. And he wants it very clear that he is the hero of the story. And uh, so, so they're not just stories about history. They're wonderful history here. But they're not just stories about that because there's a hero in it. Um, and th- these are not stories that are allegories or hidden. There's a hidden meaning in these stories that we just haven't figured out. Th- these are just the stories of people. People like you and I, emotion-filled people who get messy, who, who get it wrong. And, and I love the fact that the Bible, uh, many times people's histories are kind of written with heroes only. The goats are here too. The messiness is here too. And that gives, actually gives us hope. So don't read things into the story that aren't there. These are stories of God's people. And, and sometimes the narrative, the stories, don't teach directly. Maybe there isn't some kind of hidden meaning that no one's figured out until some crafty theologian comes along in the future and he'll figure out this grand new truth. These are truths that we've heard all our lives about how God interacts with his people. So we live there. And, and then we place ourselves into the story when we begin to say, Oh, I act just like that. Oh, that rings a bell with me. Then we place ourselves into the story and we think about the fact that God is eternal, timeless. By the way, Moses is the one who wrote Psalm 90, that last song we were singing. Uh, that is a psalm of Moses. And so uh, he's saying God is timeless, eternal, and the way he moved in the Old Testament is the way he's going to move in the New Testament. You have the dimension of Jesus that we know about, that we actually look back onto and they were looking forward to, but Jesus is in this picture. So I'd, I'd just like to begin with uh, Exodus 1 now, and I'm going to not read first five pa- chapters, but let's read a little bit. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in, in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. That's how the book opens. It connects it with Genesis. Now, I'm reading from uh, the Immersed series. Uh, sometimes the stories help us. It's better. So, in, in time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that it became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he'd done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and, we are, and are stronger than we are. Okay, here you begin that power, the power plays that are going on. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemy and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. One sentence. The Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. We'll move on. They talked about what they did. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave order to the Hebrew midwives. 
and in Shifra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If, a boy, if, it, if the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's order. They allowed the boys to live too. So Pharaoh calls them back into his throne room and says, Hey, how come you're letting this boy? Uh, why, why aren't you dealing with the boys? And they tell him, The Hebrew women are too strong. They're too quick, actually. They deliver too quickly. And when they deliver, we, aren't, we don't have time to get there. And they take the babies and hide them. This is all setting us up for something. And Pharaoh says, well, now I'll tell you what. Go back and, and uh, give an order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. But you may let the girls live. And then about this time, a man from the tribe of Levi got married. A man and a woman got married. And the woman gave pregnant and gave birth to a son. And they named the son Moses. And we don't know the details of his delivery, but we know that a few weeks after delivery, they were worried because the Egyptians were starting to move around and they were grabbing little boys and throwing them into the Nile River. And uh, they said, we'll put him in the Nile River. They made a little ark of bulrushes and, and pitched it and put his body in there. Think about the mother's heart. Think about the mother actually laying her child into that into that ark, little ark, and, and pushing it out, and they, oh my goodness, what, oh, but that's better than being thrown into the water. By the way, the ark pitched with tar, what does that point every Hebrew reader back to? Noah. The deliverance that came with Noah. This is a new Noah coming to deliver his people. And then the, the little girl is watching her, or you can imagine the scene, and, and, the, and the Egyptian princess, the daughter of Pharaoh, comes down along the river to bathe, and she hears a cry. And that little girl's, that little Hebrew girl's heart must have gone, oh no. But the, she opens the, the bulrush, the little basket, and this little baby smiles up at the princess. Well, we don't know if he smiles. She smiles up at the princess, and the princess' heart melted. She, she's a, a woman who, who knows what it is to have feeling. And in a in a, in a wonderful event, turn of events, she, delivers, she saves the baby and pays the mother to raise the son. It is just like the, the robbery, the plundering of Egypt has begun. That's to point us to the fact that someday Egypt's going to pay. They're already paying to raise the deliverer. They're paying to raise the deliverer. And he grows up, and he grows up trained to be a leader in the courts of Pharaoh. And he's a young man, a strong young man. And he goes out and he sees, he sees, in his his heart he knows what it is to be Hebrew. His mother has taught him. By the way, a wonderful Mother's Day sermon there too. But uh, she's taught him. One day, he's a young man, he goes out. And he sees an Egyptian taskmaster Beating a Hebrew slave. And it may have been his family. It may have been his franchise, his first cousin or somebody. But he understood the difference. And he saw it happening. And he looked around and there was nobody looking. So Moses kills the Egyptian taskmaster. Now this is the grandson of Pharaoh. The, the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. And he goes out and he sees this. And he says, I have had enough. Something rose up inside of Moses. Said, I have had enough. 
And he looks around, and he kills him. And then he hides him. A few days later, he goes out, and he sees two Hebrews fighting. Some of his friends are fighting. And he says, why are the two of you fighting? Aren't the Egyptians hard enough on you? And they say, what, you're going to do the same thing you did the other day when you killed that Egyptian? And they're like, oh no, people know. And Moses took off. He left. He fled. He comes to a far country. And again, comes to a water well. And some women come to the water well. And they're always being harassed by the other shepherds, these women, these girls. And uh, Moses drives the other shepherds away and brings up water for their sheep and their flocks. And the girls go back home. And uh, their dad says, boy, you're back quick. Why are you back so quick? And they said, there was a stranger there. And he drove the, kept the other shepherds and helped us. What does that remind us of? Isn't there another story like that in the Bible? Isaac and Rebekah. Right? Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac when he... Yeah. Oh, no, the servant of Isaac's when he went to look for Rebekah. Well, it, it ends up water wells must be dangerous places because Moses got married to one of those girls. Point of the matter is, Anthony, don't go to the water well. Okay? And then these are stories. These are people with humanity and real feelings. And after a period of time passed, uh, I'm going to pick it up, and I think this is, again... Part of the joy of using this Immerse series is the, is the passages aren't in the chapters, but I'll pick up the story and, uh, and we'll, uh, it is, uh, let me get to the right place here. It is, at the end of chapter two, it says this, years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the heavy burden of slavery. They cried out for help. And their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. And then you have this wonderful account of Moses in front of the burning bush. I want to just move right into Moses now and think about how God called Moses and how God calls each of us to deliver his people. And throughout these, these five chapters that I've been assigned to, there is over and over again, it says, it says, uh, and the Lord heard the groanings of the people of Israel. And the Lord remembered. And, and the Lord heard the, the children of Israel saw their slavery and knew it was time to act. As a powerful, profound statement when it says, and he remembered his covenant promise, and he knew it was time to act. And then Moses goes out into the wilderness, and he, and he sees a bush burning. And Moses goes close, and the bush doesn't burn up. And he gets close to the bush, and, and uh, he hears a voice and said, Moses! Moses! Moses looked around, and finally he said, Here am I. And God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for this, for you are standing on holy ground. Why is it holy ground? It's holy ground because God is there. The deliverer is come. The true deliverer has come. And Moses will be the first to recognize this. 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land in a land flowing with milk and honey. And by the way, that term, a land flowing with milk and honey, comes up over and over again. And they begin to crave that milk and honey. They begin to say, we want that milk and honey. We want that land that is flowing with milk and honey. If, if you went over to Canaan and opened a spigot, do you think honey would have come out or milk? No. But it's the two things that they weren't permitted to have. It's things they weren't permitted to have. It's sweetness. It is strength. It's nurture. And God says, I want to nurture you, and I want to give you beautiful things. So God places this call on Moses. And, and I, I was th- thinking about this this week. You know, that many of us are called to do things like Moses, to deliver his people. All of us are Moses sitting here this morning. And God is calling all of us into some space, some place, to deliver his people. And we... And I was also thinking about how God, when, when, when there are injustices in the world, those things are not changed by simply exploding them. You don't, you don't change an injustice in the world by exploding it. You change it by dismantling the structure that built that, that has that injustice. That's how you truly change it. And God is going to do that to Egypt. That's next week. God's going to do it to Egypt. He's going to dismantle the structure. And that is what God is calling all of us, inviting us all to a call to help him move in his kingdom and dismantle the structures that create injustices and and brokenness around us. The Sunday school lesson fits in this so well. We put on our armor, we face it, and we move into it. And, uh, And God says, I have called you, Moses, to deliver your people. Now Moses, he's in the backside of the wilderness in a desert all by himself. He has, thinks he's done in Egypt. He's married. He has a good life. And God says, I'm calling you. And then Moses comes up with a series of excuses, four of them in particular. First of all, in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses says, I'm inadequate. I can't do this, God. I'm inadequate. I don't have what it takes. And God answers it. God doesn't get mad at him. God doesn't say, in fact, God kind of says, you know what, you're right. You are inadequate. But I will go with you. I'll go with you. When, when God calls us to whatever we're called to do in this world, small or great, the first thing we need to recognize is we can't do it on our own. We're inadequate. And God says, but you know what? I'll go with you. And then Moses kind of, uh, he, he haws around a little bit. And he says uh, in, in, in chapter 3, verse 13, but Moses protested. If I go to my people, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Moses says, I don't know what to say. I am uh, I'm kind of ignorant. I'm a shepherd. And God says, God answers that. God says, I'll teach you. I'll teach you exactly what to say. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Just say that to the people of Israel. I am has sent me. 
That's all you need to know. Two words. I am has sent me. So, okay, yeah, you're ignorant, but I'll teach you. And then Moses says in chapter 4, verse 1, but Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Moses said, uh, a staff. He said, throw it down to the ground. Oh, this freaks me out. Moses' staff threw it down onto the ground and it turned into a snake. <clears throat> and God says, pick it up by the tail. I've never touched a living snake in my life. Or a dead one, for that matter. Don't intend to either. Lived 53 years without doing it. I tend to live the rest of my life. But think about the faith it took for Moses to grab that thing by the tail and it turns right back into his staff. I am guessing Moses never looked at his stick the same way again. I also am guessing that he was very careful how he threw it down in the future. And Moses said, uh, then God said, stick your hand into your, in your robe. He stuck his hand in his robe. And he brought his hand out. It was, filled, it was full of leprosy. Leprosy is the most dreaded disease in this time. It's the equivalent of us saying, stick your hand in your pocket, you pull it out, and your hand is all cancerous. And Moses was like, Wah! Stuck his hand back in and came out. Oh, wait. Staff, hand, guidance, my rod and my staff, my hand, I will keep my people. So God says, uh, yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll prove to them if you, if you think that they won't believe you, I'll make them believe you that I am sent, has sent me. And then Moses said, uh, Moses has one more excuse. In uh, verse 10 he says, Moses pleaded with the Lord, I'm not very good with words. And God says, and he says, I never have been and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? And uh, I, will, I will go with you as you speak. And then right at the tail end of that, verse 13, Moses, true reason. He's made all these excuses. He's, he said, I'm ignorant. Uh, they won't believe me. I'm inarticulate. And, and I'm inadequate. And God said, yep, you're right, you're right. But I'll deal with it. Then the true reason Moses doesn't want to come out, the true reason that Moses is reacting like this comes out, Moses says, I don't want to. I don't want to. But Moses again pleaded and said, Lord, please send anyone else. It does, he didn't say send someone else. He said send anyone else but me. And Moses is essentially saying, God, I don't want to go. God can handle it if you say, I'm not able to do this. He said, I'll go with you. God can handle it if you say, I'm not very good with words. God says, I'll give you the words. God can handle it if you say, well, what if they don't believe me? I'll cause them to believe you. At some point, they certainly will. But if you stand in the face of God and say, God, I'm not willing to go, send someone else. 
When God has called you into something, some place, some avenue of bringing redemption to his people, note what happens. Then the Lord becomes angry with Moses. And he said, okay, if you want to be like that, Moses, I'm going to harness you with Aaron. You're going to get stuck with Aaron for the rest of your life. And who is the person that is the biggest plague on Moses' life from here on out? Aaron! Aaron helps the people build the golden calf. Aaron does the stuff. And, and we don't know, and I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but at, at a certain point, if Moses would have said, God, I am all these things, but you'll go with me, I will go. Moses doesn't say that. At the end of the thing, Moses says, I don't want to go. Send anyone else. But he finally, and God gets mad at him, and it takes God's anger at him before he finally gets up. And he begins to move back. And they're moving back in one night. And Moses, by the way, had understood the commandment that they're supposed to have their young men, their boys circumcised. That is a sign of what it meant to be an Israelite. To be circumcised. And he had not circumcised. He was still partially Egyptian. He was still the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And uh, on the way back, they're camping. And, and God comes down. And he's going to kill Moses. Uh, this is one of those things that you cannot figure out. He's going to kill him. Wipe him off. And Zipporah, his non-Israeli wife, circumcises the sons and touches the foreskins of the blood to Moses' feet. All the symbolism there, we don't know, except for the fact that Moses had not circumcised his son. So that's kind of reflective of the fact that Moses hadn't fully embraced his Israelite upbringing. And when when Zipporah does that, they become one and they go back and, and God releases his anger. Um, so, so they go back and, and Moses gives these powerful signs. I want to just end up with, uh, with setting the stage for next Sunday and then a few lessons. They come back and they, they confront Pharaoh. And they, first of all, they meet with the elders and he gets this opportunity to throw his stick down again, take his hand in. And then and the people say, whoa, you're the right guy. And they go to, to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, oh, what, do you, what is it you want to do? And he said, I, I, I don't understand this either. Moses says, I'd just like to take all my people and go out in the wilderness so we're all by our, ourselves for a family camping, three days in the wilderness, so we can worship and have family camping. And Pharaoh sees right through it. He said, if I let them go out, in the, no. And he says, in fact, it gets harder. We're taking the straw away taking the clay away. And at the very end of chapter 5, there's this, there's this, uh, the Israelite foreman could see they were in serious trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put the sword in their hands, an excuse to kill us. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all of this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. And we're going to leave the story hang right there. The story till, till next Sunday. But think now, step back with me and think about the grand story, God's deliverance. Sometimes God's deliverance doesn't look the way that we think it will. Sometimes you have to go through a deeper valley to get to the other side. But rest assured, see, we know the end of the story, which shouldn't make it any uh, more, it should make it equally pleasurable for us to read the story because we know the end. 
God is going to deliver, but it's going to take some serious hardship. And, and suddenly, at the Moses, God, and God calls Moses, as God is calling each of us to fill our space in the kingdom, and we can make all the excuses we want. You, it's okay for you to tell God, I'm not adequate. It's okay for you to tell God, I can't speak very well. It's okay for you to tell God, I'm not sure I have what it takes. It's okay for you to do that. His answer to you will be, I am with you. I'll help you because I've called you to this. But if you stand in the face of God and say, I'm not willing to do it, that's when God's anger is kindled against you in the same way that he was with Moses. And we know that Moses will be looked back upon as the great deliverer. But at the, at the end of today's story, everything, the Egyptians are mad and the Israelites are all mad at Moses. And sometimes in life, we're going to face situations where the people that we're trying to deliver suddenly wake up and say, oh, we're not sure we want to be delivered. What? You want to change that? And you're going to feel the wrath from all sides. What is our sustaining power? What keeps us in those moments? It's the fact that God is involved in the story. It's, in the, it's, it's the fact that God is a deliverer And why is God wanting to deliver his people? Because he loves them. He's heard their cry come up. And he loves them. God loves us and he wants us to be delivered from the darknesses that we're in, the world around us to be delivered. And he's calling each of us to step into our space. Let's pray together. Lord, as we set the stage for your people to be delivered, Help us to remember that we are part of this in the sense that that we are the new Israel. And help us to, to look around us and when Moses tries to lead us, to not react negatively. And when we're called to be Moses, to be strong enough to stand in the face of Pharaoh and our own people. I pray that you would bless our week as each of us brings redemption and hope to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.